0: Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. That is a quote from Helen Keller. I'd like to explore from a Hashkofos HaTorah perspective, what is that daring adventure? This evening, the plan is to go through three, I think, very important points that were brought up last week. And they also serve as a wonderful segue, a bridge to where we'd like to be headed. I'd like to go through each of these points individually, starting with a question from a young man who's learning full-time in yeshiva. And he basically was asking, I feel incredibly fortunate to learn full-time. I have definitely, or I can definitely not say that I have in mind saving the world, Does that mean I'm at risk of becoming selfish? So we mentioned last week, we read together a beautiful piece from Rav Yahweh Solomon, where he was explaining you could have two people doing the exact same thing, learning Torah full-time. One is becoming more of a giver, emulating God in the sense that he has in mind the the benefit of Klal Yisrael. And you could have someone else who's becoming more of a taker, more focused on on his own growth and not as much about the, the greater community. So this person is asking, does that mean, are you telling me, that if I don't really have in mind to save the world and to uplift the Jewish people, that what I'm doing 12 hours a day in yeshiva is selfish? It's hard to hear. Do we appreciate the question? I think the basic answer is, it's very difficult for all of us to have in mind something, although we may believe in the reality of it, the notion of our learning having an impact on others who are outside of our direct sphere of influence. We may believe that's true, but it is very hard to use that as a motivation when we don't see it, we don't feel it. But there are many other things one can do in the yeshiva setting, if they are learning full time, where they can maintain that that outward look and make sure that their efforts don't create a sense of, of only looking within. So for example, in the yeshiva setting, there are so many chesed opportunities that come up every single day. Even the interactions in learning. If somebody says something or asks a good question, don't just fight back immediately, but compliment. You could encourage, you could be machazik, including someone in a conversation. There are so many subtleties that are definitely considered chesed, and if that's on our radar, even though I may not be thinking about this mystical uplifting of the universe through my learning, that could definitely keep me focused in the, in the derech Yasher to utilize the Torah learning to make me more selfless. Another thing that one can have in mind, and obviously this is not directly relevant, at least to this side of the room, most people are not in full-time learning, this side of the room as well. <laughs> but the eshes uh, chayol that we sing Friday night we have a pasik there, Torah's Chesed al Lushona. Literally, that means the Torah of kindness is on her tongue. So the Gemara has the question what does that mean? There's a Torah, there's a regular Torah, and there's a Torah of Chesed. What is the real understanding of Torah's Chesed? So the Gemara explains again, it's based on my motivation while learning. If I'm learning, with the mindset of, I wanna gain as much as possible. I have this unquenchable thirst, not just for me, but to be able, Amir at the right time, to share this with as many people as I possibly can in whatever capacity that may be. It may be a professional um, Rebbe, Rabbi, anything else, and it may be I'm in the world of business or I'm a, a speech therapist, but having this, this ammunition, I can actually be helpful and I could impact my brothers and sisters. That's Torah's chesed. So even while we're learning, if we have in mind I'm doing this for other people as well, that will be very helpful. I mentioned last week that somebody asked the question, isn't it selfish having people learning in Kollel for so many years? The answer that I gave was, do we think it's selfish when someone's in med school? Do you know how many years someone spends going to med school and then becoming a resident and a fellowship? Money and time, and oftentimes their spouse is the one bringing in the, the Parnassa. What is selfish pursuit? The answer is, if I'm going to medical school, not just because I want to be rich and famous, but I want to help people and I have a chush, I have a real attraction to this realm. So then that's a very selfless thing to do. So, hakol talui bekavana, like Rehmatas Solomon Salomon told us, it is all based on our mindset. The second question that somebody raised, which I thought was very insightful, it was right after the she'er last week. Right, the, the structure, or at least the flow, was we got to be careful that our thoughts and our intensity in working on ourselves doesn't create this self-absorption, but I'm still focused on, on others. So what does that look like? Well, I want to become more godly. We left off by explaining if we're trying to work on ourselves in order to become more like HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to emulate the, the limitless compassion and love that Hashem has for humanity so that I'm not getting self-absorbed, but I want to make myself better to be able to give more. So the question was, isn't that also selfish? If ultimately you're doing something because you want to do something, doesn't that get back to you? Why does it make a difference if I say, I want to work on all of these things that are holding me down because then I'm going to feel better? Right? That's a very kosher reason to want to improve midos. So but when I think about you, I want to work on myself so I can be more godly. But that also means you're doing it because you want something. Do you want wealth? Do you want recognition? Do you want to be like God? (laughs) Whatever it is, you're doing it because you want to. Very insightful question. Avi, do you appreciate that question? Okay. So I I want to share with you something that I think is so important in this entire worldview of trying to emulate the infinite creator of the universe when God does a chesed which is every second of our lives is God doing the chesed because it's a mitzvah is Hashem showering us with with life and consciousness because he wants to emulate God that doesn't make any sense Right? So again, the climb into the mind of the infant is something we can never do, but when we say we want to become more godly, what we have in mind is not, as I'm helping you, I'm here ready to become more like God. That's not being godly. That's being selfish. Right? That's working on your own things. not bad, but it's not the ideal. Being godly means for the same reason that a Kadosh Baruch bestows love and chesed on humanity. I want to be giving to you in that same way. Right, so you think of the mitzvah, love somebody else like you love yourself. So Revolba explains, why do I love myself? Do I love myself because it's a mitzvah? I have to love myself, I have to, have to take care of myself. I want to guard and protect my, my self-esteem because it's a mitzvah. No, because it's natural. I love myself because I, I'm me. It's a natural thing to care about me. So the same way that naturally I care about myself, that's the way I want to care about you. Not because in my conscious mind, I'm helping you to emulate God. I'm helping you because it's a mitzvah. I'm helping you because I love you. Do I want to help you? The answer is yes. But not everything we want, by definition, means that it's selfish. Does that make sense? We're getting a little bit deep over here. I want to share with you one story, and then I'll take a question, okay? It's going back a few years ago we were with the whole family in in the van. My wife ran into the Grove to get a few things, and I was sitting in the car, schmoozing with the kids, and look out the window, and I see there's an older gentleman taking the shopping cart that was in the parking lot area and trying to push it up onto the curb to be able to get inside the store. And he was having a difficult time. So I got out of the van, I gave him a hand, pushing the thing up the ramp, we schmoozed a little bit, he went inside, I got back in the car. One of my kids said, oh Tati, you did a mitzvah. So that's beautiful, that's beautiful, but it was bothering me a little bit. So I, I asked him the question, Did Tati help him because it's a mitzvah? Yeah, it's a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah. But I helped him because he needed help. Now, it's true, we have a mitzvah to care about other human beings. And when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Kalal Yisrael, it's more of a responsibility. And we try to develop those sensitivities because that is the tzivui, those are the instructions of Hashem, But as we're helping somebody, if it's only coming from the fact that I want to get points or I want to do a mitzvah or I want to be more like God, that means you're being less like God. Being godly is the same way that God gives because he wants my best. I give and I love you because I want your best. Mrs. Friedman had a question. It's a good question. The question is, if I'm working with non-Jews or non-religious Jews, and they get the sense that I'm doing things because of my, my commitment to religion, so that might appear somewhat selfish, I really think it comes down to, to you. They know you, they see you, and you're always there for them, and you respect them, and you help them, and I'm also committed I think ultimately, non-Jews or non-religious Jews respect Jews who respect Judaism. And as long as you know that I'm not trying to take advantage of the holidays to get out of my job and have you take over for me, even though it might be somewhat frustrating when I'm out the entire month of September, (laughs) right, with holidays, but I think it's all about you. And if they know who you are and they appreciate that you appreciate them, hopefully it won't rub them the wrong way. Question, yes, an alternate lecture. <laughs> uh, if we talk about the intention of the guy, guys, we can look at as, because we are part of that. We know that he is everywhere. So well. nothing to do with chesed. And she's not even doing it for him. She doing it for herself. it's her to see hurt. That's a beautiful marshal, right. Right, right, right. The, the, the basic analogy is that when I'm doing something for a child, it's not because it's a chesed, it's not because it's a mitzvah. That may all be true, but it's instinctual. And ideally, that's what we're trying to get in the mitzvah of of a loving and being there for others. So in that way, of course I want to do it, but that particular desire is not a selfish desire. I want to jump to the third point here, and this will get us into our adventure, the daring adventure of life. The person wrote, I loved the muscle of the invisible dog fence and the application to having the courage to go beyond our comfort zone. For those of you who are not here last week, we spent about an hour and a half discussing different forms of dog fences. The concept seems to be focused on freeing myself from limitations. How does this idea relate to becoming more of a selfless giver? Meaning, basically last week we spoke about two, at least superficially separate concepts. One is, I'm not going to get self-absorbed in my avoda, in my working on myself. I'm doing so with an outward focus. And then, we ended off the discussion talking about the idea of not having our thoughts or trauma serve as limitations, but being able, in the mushal, to be the brave dog and go beyond the barrier and go outside of that fence. So that's the whole conversation of going beyond your comfort zone. What does that have to do with becoming more selfless? Very insightful question. I wanted to point out, though, the way that they phrase this is very true. When we're going beyond our comfort zone, we're freeing ourselves of limitation. And there are few things in this world that feel more liberating than being able to just destroy the barrier that was holding me back for so long. This, I think, is really getting into this adventure of life. If I'm always trapped within myself, I'm always in the confines of this small little structure that I've created based on my fears and my anxiety and my trauma. So then, no matter where I go, I'm always bringing myself with me and that ruins everything. Meaning to say the surroundings may be beautiful and expansive and majestic but if I'm always stuck within my cottonus within my small-minded world that I've developed over the years so then there is no real adventure. There's no exploding outside of your own reality. And, and, and just expanding past that. You're always stuck within your own head. Those same voices keep on plaguing you. Freeing ourselves from some of these, these self, uh, self-imposed limitations, it's the greatest feeling in the world. But I want to explain how that leads to becoming selfless, how that leads to really being there for others. That's very true. Whenever I'm stuck within myself, you could call that selfish. The problem is, though, it doesn't help somebody when they're stuck within themselves. Right? Let me help you. You should know, besides being depressed, you're also selfish. <laughs> right? But it's very true. Okay, so you're making me feel worse. And I'm going to get deeper in my side myself. But going, beyond, going beyond the fence to freedom, oh. Exactly. Going beyond that fence, breaking through and having that sense of, of 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 freedom, not only does that feel so incredible and refreshing, but then it could actually be there for other people in a more real way. Right? The definition of spirituality. Right, last week we focused on selfish spirituality and frumkite, which could be deceptive and, and somewhat dangerous. What is the real Torah definition of Ruchnias, of spirituality? Page two. A user-friendly definition of spirituality is the experience of going beyond the natural. Short, sweet, and to the point. So it doesn't mean that I have to hover, right? Going beyond the natural is that which is part of of who I am, not intrinsically, not my essence, but the person I've created, and therefore the reaction or the response that I would naturally go into, being able to break free above and beyond that, if it's holding myself back from something that I would have done or would have said, or if it's pushing myself to do something that I never would have done in my life, that's spirituality, that's ruchnius. How does becoming more of a spiritual person enable us to emulate God, to be more of a giver, to give for the same reason that a Baruch Hu gives. So I want to share with you a beautiful piece from the Chovos The Chovos writes in Shar B'Tachon, Ki Boteach Belokim, one who has BiTachon, which is not the, the subject of our discussion tonight, we'll get there, M'Rtz Hashem, but one who has reliance in Hashem, Ahuv lecholkitos b'nei Adam, you are loved by everybody. V'lo yifchadu mi'menu, people are not intimidated by you. People don't view you as a threat. People are not afraid of you. How does that work? Because they they get the vibe that I'm not feeling this competition. I don't see you as encroaching on my territory or on my turf. I'm, I'm very comfortable with who I am and I'm okay with who you are. Once you get that feel, so you're not afraid of me, and so too, I, I have trust in you. Because I know that you can't really help me or hurt me. I'm living with, a, with an iron-clad recognition of hakol bidei shemayim, that Hashem is in total control. And therefore, just like you're not afraid of me, you're not intimidated by me, I'm not afraid of you. And I'm not intimidated by you. And listen to this line. Ukeshehu batuach mehem, vehem batuchi mimenu. And once there's this mutual trust, then, Yehavim Yahavehu. Then, it sounds like automatically, what will come from the trust that we have is a mutual love. I love you, and you love me. We're a happy family. <laughs> right? But just to analyze these words of the Rebbeinu B'chayi carefully, I understood everything until this very last line. If I have bitachon... I don't need your stuff. I'm not afraid of you. So then you're not afraid of me and we could trust each other. That I, I understand. How does that somehow translate into the people loving each other? We're not talking about father and child, husband and wife. If we have a mutual trust, so then we automatically have a love for each other so I think the idea that the Rebbeinah Bahaya is sharing with us is that the love is really inherent in the neshama. The love is within me. The love is within you. We spoke about this, I think, in the second V'ad, the notion that we're not trying to acquire external or foreign things. Really, everything we need is within me. It's within you. The goal is breaking away those mechitzos, trying to get rid of those barriers, and then have all of that that that, ruchnius, that spirituality, that love, that acceptance just shine forth naturally. What the Rabben Baha'i is telling us is that really I love you, and that's mutual. That's that's automatic, it's organic happens to be when I am too focused on my stuff and you're too focused on your stuff, and in this case we're lacking bitachon, then that love is blocked. But the love is always there. When I'm able to break out of my comfort zone, so then, it's not then I could choose to be more aware of your presence then I could choose to care more about you, that will come naturally. Becoming more of a spiritual person, meaning to say, being able to go beyond the natural, then I will, by definition, care for you more. That makes me more of a godly person. The author of Kelm has has one very powerful line when he speaks about this concept. He says, It's impossible to really love or care for somebody else. Only once I've, I've removed the Gashmias from me. It doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm totally separating from the world and not eating ice cream. It doesn't mean that kind of separation are precious. But once I've removed those barriers that are keeping me inside... Then I become more spiritual, and naturally I have a love for you, and that's mutual. The the mushal that I was thinking of, just a way to picture how this works, and again this evening we spoke about the yeshiva bachar learning, even if we don't have in mind all of the uh, mystical things, but I'm doing so to gain more wisdom, to help other people right here and now, and then to eventually go out and share that with as many as possible. We spoke about the notion of wanting to be more like God, what that actually means, wanting to give in the same way that God gives. And we're closing with this notion of breaking through my own comfort zone, breaking out of that, becoming more spiritual, that allows me and, and that that. That propels me into a state of being more godly, being more selfless. So we spoke about the the fenceless dog fence last week. I want to share with you the uh, above ground hurricane shelter, and we'll end with this. This message is brought to you by Protection Shelters. Be prepared. That's not just the motto for scouts. When it comes to the safety of your family, you can never do too much. So many of us have had the experience, the heartbreak of, if I own thee, and lamented, if I could do things over. No one wants to think about bad things happening, but we can't just hope that they don't. Just like we make sure to have extinguishers in case of a fire, we need to make sure that we have shelter in the event of a tornado, or living here, you could argue, in the event of a hurricane. When we were young, we were told we had to be underground to be safe during a tornado. This is no longer true. Our above ground steel shelter has been tested and passed at Texas Tech Wind Science and Debris Impact Testing Center, who does the testing for FEMA. These shelters are structurally built to bear wind loads in excess of 250 miles per hour or EF5 tornado, which is the highest level. So you don't need an underground shelter, but if you get one of ours, even an above-ground shelter can keep you safe and protected. So picture the following situation. The news is talking about tornado ripping through this area and you just had your above-ground shelter installed a couple weeks ago and you're ready for anything, right? Bring it on. Go outside. You probably have a few minutes until any of the high winds might come through, but you get inside the shelter, you lock it up and you're feeling safe and secure. You're hearing some noise outside, likely the winds are picking up. Maybe this is it. And then you hear what sounds to be like the the shriek or the screaming of somebody else. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, there's someone out there who doesn't have shelter. They never got in touch with (laughs) protectionshelters.com. What am I going to do? Should I open up and, and, and go check out the situation? I could be a hero no, 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 but I can't. I can't leave. I can't leave the confines of my shelter. Let's say I walk outside of the tent. comes right now. It's going to kill me. And you hear the screaming, and it's getting louder. And you want to leave. You want to try to be that, that hero to save a life. But you can't because you're too afraid, and you end up staying inside. Imagine if the person will walk out after this terrible, devastating tornado and realized the person who was screaming was his child. Can you imagine that nightmare? Because he was too afraid, he wasn't comfortable, but he wasn't courageous enough to be able to step outside that shelter that gave him so much protection. The sacrifice was his child. What we have to ask ourselves is how many of these, these shelters that protect us so dearly that we, that we just kind of kneel down and, and feel secure, never wandering to the, uh, the limits, how many of those shelters are impacting the people that I love the most? So maybe I didn't have a good experience in yeshiva, and maybe I'm somewhat bitter towards the institutions Maybe I can't do much about that right now. Maybe I'm choosing not to do much about that right now. Am I going to let that impact my child and how the way he views his Rebbe, the way he views his learning of Torah? Is he going to walk around with that that bitter, negative perception because of my baggage, because of my trauma? Or do I have the courage to say, you know what? I have a lot of stuff and I have a lot of history. And it's not pretty. But I don't have to let that affect my son. I want to work on my anger. Why? So the big phrase, the the buzz phrase is to become the best version of yourself. And that's beautiful. But according to this idea, why do I want to become the the best version of myself? Because otherwise, these boundaries and limitations that I've created, or at least I've let to solidify, that's going to impact the people I love the most. And then one day I walk out of that shelter, maybe because the fear of mortality begins to melt away some of those barriers. And at that point, I see the casualties of my own insecurity. So it's really, we're trying to break free. We're trying to have this... this, expansive, pushing out of the comfort zone. And only by doing that will I be able to be there for you and naturally I will be there for you. That's why we care so deeply about this particular project, about our avodos Hashem, and about pushing beyond those limitations. The exercise for this week, think of one one shelter, one above-ground shelter that you've created, or even if I'm not, I'm not guilty of creating it, but it happens to be there, it happens to exist, not that it just holds me back or stifles my growth, but that, yes, I could point to this particular machitza and say, this is impacting the people that I care about most. Don't do anything about it this week, but just think about one of those overground shelters. Have a wonderful week.